this morning. We're going to take this opportunity when we're having this glorious, wonderful day to be able to say to these moms and dads and grandparents and, and church family, uh, we're going to take this opportunity to, to look at, in my opinion, one of the most vital pieces of Scripture for parents uh, in, in the entirety of Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 9, um, a passage we will do well to heed. And so parents, not just those who've dedicated their babies today, but um, grandparents, future parents, current parents, all of us, this passage is absolutely, astoundingly vital. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9, and, uh, and if you would read along with me, uh, not out loud, but silently, as you take a look at uh, your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that you and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit on your house or in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 9. In this passage that we're going to take a look at very briefly, um, because I know folks want to go eat and celebrate. And so briefly, Moses has just in chapter 5 given the Ten Commandments. And immediately following, he expounds on those Ten Commandments and reiterates the absolute vital nature of what he has just said to them and what they had just heard. Now, I think it's important here to note something from Deuteronomy 5 that you will also see in Exodus 20. It's something I teach my Old Testament students, and, and I want to remind you, and we've, we've done it in here when we've done the Q&A sessions, and folks have asked questions and, and want to hit it again because it's absolutely vital that you not miss the gospel here. All Scripture predicts, prepares for, reflects and results from Jesus' person and work. You need to understand in this passage, this is not just a set of laws. There is gospel here. Because the Old Testament scriptures clearly articulate Jesus. 
The Old Testament preaches the New Covenant prophetically all through its pages. So much so that in Luke chapter 24, as Jesus meets two disciples on the road to Emmaus, after the story and the drama playing out of Jesus' crucifixion and burial, He is risen and He meets them on this road. And the Scriptures tell tells us that from Moses all the way to the prophets, Jesus preached to them Himself. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I would kill to have been a fly on the donkey traveling with them at that moment just to hear that conversation. To hear Jesus, the inspirer of the text, preach Himself from the text. Oh, I hope there's DVD, DVR in the kingdom. I want to see that. I want to hear that. Maybe he'll just do the sermon over. But Jesus teaches them from Moses to the prophets all about him. Oh, that we would have those kind of eyes to read the text like that. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? Deuteronomy 5, as well as Exodus 20, results from Jesus' person and work. Use big words for a second. You've heard this before. This is review for many, but, but it bears repeating. Deuteronomy 5, 6. Jesus is setting up everything, and I say Jesus because He is the inspirer of the text. The pre-existent, incarnate Son of God did not come into existence at Christmas. He always has been. You need to know that. That's vital. It's vital. Abraham was not saved by keeping the law. He was saved by faith in Jesus. Read Hebrews 11. You know what I mean? He was saved by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you've missed that, oh, that the gospel would dawn on your heart today. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. Listen to this. This is astounding. It's so easy to skip little verses like this and go right to other places. And we miss the setup, and the setup's vital. I am Yahweh, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And so on and so on and so forth. The indicative, here it goes, comes before the imperative, and you cannot reverse the order. The indicative comes before the imperative and you cannot, you must not reverse the order. The indicative is the describing voice of grammar. It is describing a reality, a fact. The imperative is the what? The command. The indicative comes before the imperative. What is the indicative? It's verse 6. I am the Lord, your God. Statement of fact, I'm your God. How do you know? Because I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That whole little thing called the Passover. In which the Lord tells them, I want you to set apart a perfect lamb. And I want you to slaughter it. Consume all of it and put the blood over your doorpost. And when I pass through the land, my wrath will not rest on you, but my favor will. And when I take all of their firstborn... You will get up and you will leave and you will plunder them. Ask them for all their goods. I'm going to have them give them to you. And you're going to walk out and plunder the Egyptians as I rescue you. You're my people. 
the law was not given that they might become his people. That's why you can't reverse the order. That's how you create legalism. The text tells us, I'm your God. I have rescued, I've purchased you. That's why Jesus does this beautiful thing that we know as the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Out of that Passover meal. Those elements come out of the Passover meal. So that when Jesus sat down with the twelve, He reinterpreted it. He exegeted it rightly for them. He said, I'm this bread. I'm this cup. Drink me. Eat me and you will live. Because that's been me from the beginning. When you ate the unleavened bread, when you put the blood, that was me saving you. They got that. They understood that. And he says to hear them, I'm your God. I've saved you. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You're my people. So what did the Ten Commandments serve? They served to be tools of training for them that they might look like the God that they belong to. The law was the tutor to lead us to Jesus. The indicative comes before the imperative. And you cannot reverse that order. And so it's vital that we understand here. When the Lord is speaking to the people through Moses. It is coming on the back side of this reality. He's just spoken this to them. He's just expounded this to them. And that's the glorious introduction to chapter 6 that we're given in Deuteronomy 5. It starts with verse 1 now. In light of all this. In light of all of this. This is the commandment that the Lord gave you. So Deuteronomy 5 as well as Exodus 20 is a result from Jesus' person and work. You need to understand today that you... Do not do or keep any law to become a child of God. You are no more or no less God's child because of what you do or don't do. You belong to Christ because of what He has already done to purchase you. And we learn to obey His Word so that we begin to look like the one who's made us, His child. That's what sets up Deuteronomy 6. They are God's people. And as a result, they're to imitate Him. So that they can accurately proclaim Him in truth to all the nations that are around them. But also proclaim Him in truth to their own children as well. While they do the Lord's mission. Listen to what is said carefully in verse 1 to 3. Once again. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land of which you're going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and commandments which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may be well with you. That may go well with you. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Point number one. For us to all take in. We must. It is absolutely essential. To teach the truth of scripture. Now this is the commandment. That the Lord has commanded you. Or has commanded me to teach 
you. This is what the Lord's given, that I would teach you. Parents, radical kids workers, all of us, it is vital that we teach the truth of Scripture. Our children are not too young to hear the totality of the Scriptures. We must be the proclaimers of the Scriptures to our children. It is vital that the church, that I, that your elders teach the Scriptures to you. It is vital in turn in this process that you then go and teach them to your children. I want us to understand this. I want us to be very clear. The church's function is not to replace the parent. Ministries do not exist so that parents are absolved of the responsibility to teach their children. Moses said, the Lord has given us this that I may teach you. And that you and your sons and your son's son may do so. He's going to go on to say, and we're going to see in a moment, that it's vital that we be the primary teachers of our children. I want you to understand, guys, our children are never too young to unleash the Scriptures upon them. There is no section of Scripture you should wait to read them. And I really believe that. Genesis to Revelation... It's truth. And oh, why would we want our, our, our precious little ones to lack truth? If Scripture is not unleashed, people will languish in folly. 2 Peter 1.16 is a valuable passage to help us see that the scriptures themselves, the stories of the Bible, are not cleverly devised myths. You, you need to get that passage. And it's hard not to just go there for a minute. And I think I may. Second Peter 1.16 Peter says to the recipients of this letter, we wrote to you. You received this from us. These are not cleverly devised myths. Today in theological circles, there are a multitude of theological presuppositions about the Scriptures, one of which is that the Scriptures contain myths, that the stories of the Gospels are second century creations on the part of the church to validate their message. And I want you to know that's a lie. Don't watch the History Channel and expect to get good theology on Jesus. Okay? That's coming out of some rotten circles. Listen to what the Scriptures... This is what Bodie Bauckham says. We don't have to defend the Scripture. Defending the Scripture is like defending a lion. You don't defend a lion. You uncage it. You unleash it. You don't need to defend the Scriptures. They will defend themselves. Listen, listen to this passage. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Clearly articulating. This isn't a story. Like a bedtime story. Luke said it when he wrote to Theopolis. 
I've undertaken to write for you an orderly account of everything that's happened that we've seen. So that you may know that what you believed is real. That's history. Uh, boom. Cleverly devised myths, which we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is a quote from Vody. If you guys were at the conference, you remember this. He did like an hour just on this statement. So I'm just going to read it. I choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. By the way, this definition, he pulls it expositionally straight out of 2 Peter 1.16. This is a summary of this passage. Written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. And they claim to be divine rather than human in origin. So here's, again, we've got to teach the scriptures. We want those in the minds of our students. From the earliest memories up, some of the very first things they need to know are these glorious historical recountings of the acts of God in history. Oh, the disservice we do to them when we raise them on cartoons. Dude, don't get me wrong. Tom and Jerry is still beast, okay? I'm there, okay? Foghorn Leghorn is cartoon beast. I get it, okay? You understand? I'm not against good cartoons. My point is, that can't be the totality of what those precious eyes intake for hours a day. You can't babysit children with cartoons. We, moms and dads, have to personally, relationally, eye to eye, engage them with Scripture. When we do that, we are unleashing truth into that precious mind so that they then begin to have the framework to interpret data as it comes in. Do you understand you're always taking in data? You're like a computer that's always online. If your eyes are open and your ears are open, you are constantly taking in data. The question isn't, am I taking in information? The question is, how are you processing it? Is there a filter there that says, no, that's not true? I don't know about that. Do you have a filter? Do you know when you hear something that's not truth? One of my greatest stories this past week was one of my seniors wrote in her paper. And by the way, this is great because I don't, you shouldn't stop listening to good music and watching good movies. You understand? That's crazy. You can't do that. That's no fun either. All right. So listen to good stuff. Listen to, to good bands. Go see good movies. Paul said we've got to be in the world, but you need a filter so that you know what's coming at you. And that filter scripture. And, and my student was saying, they, and, and Miss Mabry heard this, that, that I listen to these things and I can't listen to them anymore without hearing worldviews. I hear Maroon 5. And I love Maroon 5, but ah, that's cosmic humanism. And why? Because the filter of the Word is there. We want that in our little ones. We desperately have to have that in our little ones, don't we? We don't want them being taken in. 
So we've got to teach the truth of Scripture. Unleash the Scriptures on our children. I love radical kids because, dude, we would do good to go sit in radical kids some Sundays. That material is astounding. We are pouring Scripture into those little ones back there. It's not babysitting. Please don't view Radical Kids as a place to drop your kids off so you can have a few minutes of peace. That's not what Radical Kids is. It is, a, it is an opportunity for you to serve, to be a, an, a servant in teaching our little ones. But it is designed to teach them to be radical in their following of Jesus Christ, presenting the Scriptures to them in fun ways. It's awesome. You do that at home. We do that here. Unleash the Scriptures. Read them. There are times where things are just different. And I'll, at home, sit in the hallway and read Scripture as they go to sleep at night. Last year, we read through John twice as they're going to sleep. Read them Scripture. If you don't like to read, get it on your iPod. Download a version of the Bible and play it for them. But get Scripture in. Unleash the Scriptures on our little ones. Number two, hear. Have ears. Here, listen to, um, listen to verse 4. Uh, interestingly, this passage, verse 4, uh, beginning here in Deuteronomy 6, is called the Shema. Because the very first word of the sentence in Hebrew is Shema, and it means hear. And for a good Jew, this is a vital piece of Scripture. A vital piece of Scripture. This passage called the Shema, meaning hear began to be for these people a cornerstone of their theology. And the reason it's vital is because of this command to hear. Listen. Listen to this. Listen. This is what Moses was saying. Tune in. And what I say to us as parents, as a church, hear. Have the radar up to hear the Lord. And to respond to Him. The Scriptures command that we hear what they say. And the idea is not just that we hear it out of obligation. And then move on and do what our culture says and what we want to do. But that we hear, assimilate, and act upon. The biblical idea of belief and hearing is different than our culture's idea of belief. We, we think belief equals neck up. I agree with those facts. That is not what the Bible means by believe. Okay? We think here is it goes in and I audibly took it. That's not what the Scriptures mean when they say here. They mean believe here. Audibly take it in. Process it. Sink it down to the emotive level and then act upon it. And that's what the Bible calls belief. Faith. Faith is more than agreeing with facts. It is acting upon those facts out of a desire birthed in the heart because the head and heart are connected. So when we say here, when the scriptures say here, the idea is that we would take it, would assimilate it, and act upon it. Here it is. Have hearing ears that lead to a heart desire going to the hands and the feet. Be a lifelong learner. Hear only what is right. Have a filter. 
and have an appetite for sound doctrine and not just pragmatic do's and don'ts. Don't come to church looking for a list on how to be a better Christian. Please don't. It's not necessarily worldview 101 right now, but pragmatism is built on atheistic philosophy as a worldview. Okay? So don't just come looking for how to be a better Christian in five easy steps. Okay? Come wanting and desiring to hear the voice of the Lord. The, the Holy Spirit still teaches and guides us into truth. He speaks. The question isn't, does Holy Spirit speak? The question is, are we quiet enough to hear? Are we tuned in to hear? You know? Have ears that hear. Listen. Three, theology matters, parents in church. Theology matters. Listen to four again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is... One. The Shema does not begin with the instruction. It begins with a theological truth. Before you get to how to train your children, the Shema starts with who is the Lord. What's crazy about this passage is it may sound familiar to some of you. If you're not familiar with this passage, you may have heard this before. Someone came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus, what did he say? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Remember that? And then he did this crazy thing later on. Before Abraham was, I am. Meaning, I'm that one I just said the greatest commandment was. That's why they picked up stones to throw at him. Last verse, John 8. They knew what he meant. It was clear. The point is this. Doctrinal integrity matters. And our children need to understand and know that we live in a culture that has a very severe problem with God because God is not foreign in our culture not at all we live in a very spiritual climate don't we God talk is all over television you can watch your favorite news channel and even get theological lessons and we talk about G-O-D all day long right But the question is, who is that God? Right? Because the discussion politically is that Allah, Yahweh, and the God of the New Testament are all the same God. We're just different paths climbing up the same mountain to the same God. There's one fly in that ointment. Jesus. Jesus messes that whole argument up. If you could remove Jesus from the Bible... Maybe that's plausible. The only problem is Jesus claimed to be that one God and said the rest of them were wrong. Which is why Lewis said what he said. He really is God, Lord, and we need to worship Him. Or He was a liar. He's just nuts. Our kids need to be able to articulate that. And you know what? They can. 
They are totally capable. Totally capable. Doctrine matters. And we start teaching these little ones early. We start teaching these little ones early. It's one of the reasons we even have our little ones come and sit in service periodically. Like some of them are today. And, and, and an awful lot of the times, things I'm going to say are going to hit and bounce, bounce off. But you know what won't bounce off? It's the fact that they've heard that term. And it, and it can be talked about at home. On the way to school, we listen to sermons. And then some ACDC along the way because that's some rocking, kicking tunes. And then we can filter, why is that not a good idea? Guitar's good, lyrics bad, why it's good, you know, we can do that. But we listen to intense sermons. We unpack theological concepts. Little six-year-old, seven-year-old, and nine-year-old, we're listening to doctrine. They can tell you we believe in the Augustinian one-handed view of election. Verbal, plenary, inerrancy. Why? Because they're capable. We've bought this cultural lie that, oh, they're little, they can't understand that. No, man. Do you get that a little Jewish boy at his bar mitzvah can quote in Hebrew the Torah? We've bought this educational lie that they can't do that. And it's interesting that we only do that here. Our little ones need to know good doctrine and they're totally capable of learning it. Just teach them. Yeah, stuff's going to bounce off. Yeah, that's why you teach lifelong. That's why it's not a one-time session at the age of five. That's why, what does he say? Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, all the time. Always be talking this stuff to our little ones. Tell them who is Jesus. What does the word say? One of the greatest questions I learned to ask, ask, ask my kids is, what does the scripture say? They said, Daddy, they say this. What does the Bible say? And I always remind them, get up and start watching cartoons, which I usually go watch them with them. But I get up and start watching cartoons, and I always say, hey, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. One of the great examples we can set is when our children rise, that they meet us already buried in God's Word. That the habit is set that they learn. When I rise, I begin to take in truth. And we teach them doctrine early. Oh, what a glorious thing. And you know what? There's no guarantee that's going to stick. But what we do have is the promise that if we teach, if we teach doctrine, if we teach truth, we don't fail on our end. We can't afford to be the reason a generation doesn't get truth. Let's just be faithful and teach our little ones. Oh, I wish I had more time. Go gospel early, point number four. Again, he tells them to love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. They shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, frontlets between your eyes. Write them on the doorposts of your house and at your gates. Start early with the gospel. Start early with the gospel. Begin to articulate the person and work of Jesus, Genesis to Revelation, early with them. 
again, yeah, those little minds, a lot's going to bounce off. But dude, I'm telling you, a lot more sticks than we give it credit for. Talk to them about the work of the cross. Talk to them about justification. Big, good Bible words. Use them. They're in Scripture. And here's what I, here's my hunch. Here's my hunch. Maybe do we sell the Holy Spirit short? Jesus said that the Spirit will guide us into truth. He will remind us of what He said. His job was to exalt Jesus. And He will convict concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Could it be that maybe if we laid this on them, that it might be the means by which the Spirit of God awakens them to life. Not because we had a slick presentation or we took them to the right places, but because we simply laid the Word of God on them. The Scriptures, truth, and Holy Spirit took what He inspired and worked in them what He said He would work when His Word was placed and put into practice. Just saying. Maybe we think too highly of ourselves and not too highly of Holy Spirit. If we go gospel early, the fruit of that can be astounding. Finally, just keep reading, keep instructing, and show the value of the Scriptures as priority. The point would be in those final two verses... Not that they would walk around with pieces of Scripture tied on their forehead, which they did, and totally missed the point. The point isn't that you got pieces of Scripture tied to your doorpost or on your wrist or hanging on your forehead. The point is that the Scriptures, the Word of God, does not slip from your memory. That's the point. And if we have it as the centerpiece of our lives, can you imagine the generation that we would raise up? Can you imagine what that's going to look like? One of the beautiful things I love about what we do here is that's exactly what's going on. I love the fact that we don't entertain our kids. We, we equip them. And you know what? I believe the fruit of that is going to be riches for the nations. We close with this beautiful thought. We do this cool thing that every child we dedicate to the Lord, we give a check to the parents for that child for $50. It's not a birthday present. It's not to be spent on toys. It is to be set aside for them to be added to birthdays, any other time they get money, put a little in it. Save it so that by the time they reach the proper age, their first trip to the nations is paid for. It is an investment into the preaching of the gospel to the nations. And can you imagine what's going to happen coming out of our little church? I mean, you stop and think. Stop and think. 250 plus or minus members on the roll. Actual members. And, and there's been over, I think we're getting to 10 now folks who have come out of our church. Who've left Three Rivers to go to other people groups. That's not our people group. I mean, we're, we're, we're narrowly focused in one place on the globe. But the more we focus, the more God raises up people to send. We can't grow a church for sending people away. Back there is a force to be reckoned with. And I promise you this, if we won't get it done, they're not going to know any better. They will leave us in their dust. <laughs> 
Because all they know is Jesus, gospel, all nations. And they may look back at us and go, what are you doing? Can you, what a legacy. And that's what we're doing. Isn't that cool? So when you raise those little ones, and, and we have to spank mine almost daily, and you have to do whatever you have to do, and they wake you up at all hours of night, and they're difficult days. No. That is a small investment for the joy of the nations. Because that little soul, that little one's got a role to play in the advancement of the gospel globally. And that is just a little piece of what we do here. And if we continue to value God's word and the scriptures, the mission and the gospel, oh, the legacy that God can build with little. He doesn't ask for lot. He doesn't ask for much. He delights in taking little and doing great things with it. And we qualify. Father, I give thanks to you that you have allowed us to be part of your work. And it's just fun to do this. It really is a joy. And the only way I can, I guess, explain that is that you are gracious to save sinners with the gospel and for the gospel. And it's, that's just fun. It is fun, fun, fun. And I just want to ask you now to um, take these precious moms and dads and these little ones and, and do the work of the gospel. Save, equip and train and teach. Help us to be faithful so that, Jesus, you are exalted among all nations. Oh, what a glorious thing that will be. We want to be part of that. So we pray that you would instruct and teach us. Now, Lord, I want to pray against the evil one. In this moment, Father, all kinds of war is going on. All kinds of distractions to keep us from the gospel. I just want to ask that you would win that battle. That there would be nothing, no barrier... No unbelief. No wind of doctrine that would rob the gospel of power. But that you would win that war, Holy Spirit. And you would guide into truth. When we're tired, I pray for energy that you would renew every cell in our body so that we wouldn't cop out on teaching and training our little ones. Help us to win the battle for their lives, for the gospel, for the nations. So we entrust ourselves to your good care and your grace, and we do that in Jesus' name.